Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Potida Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica. And I'm your host, Clara. And we are honored today to have Paul Lightfoot with us. Paul Lightfoot has been the artistic director of Netherlands Dance Theater since 2011. Netherlands Dance Theater, also known as NDT, is recognized as one of the most prolific and creative contemporary dance companies in the world. It consists of two multinational companies, NDT1 and NDT2. The latter gives classically trained dancers between the ages of 17 and 23 a chance to develop their artistic personalities during a three-year trajectory. NDT1 consists of 28 dancers, each one excelling in their solo qualities and renowned for their versatility, astonishing technique, and virtuosic expression. Since its inception in 1959, NDT has built a rich, ambitious, and idiosyncratic repertoire of over 600 works by master choreographers such as Yuri Killian and Hans von Menen, Sol Leon, Paul Lightfoot, associate choreographers Crystal Pite, Marco Gucke, and high-profile guests such as Ohad Nareen, Nacho Duado, William Forsyth, Hofes Schechter, Sharon Ayal, and Guy Behar, among many more. We now have the incredible honor of interviewing Paul Lightfoot while he's on tour with NDT2 at New York City Center's 2018 Fall for Dance Festival. And the performance previews NDT2's January 2019 performances at New York City Center, running January 16th through the 19th, which will feature American and New York premieres and one repertoire favorite. Paul Lightfoot, again, is artistic director of NDT. He joined the company in 1985, starting as a dancer with NDT2. Two years later, Lightfoot joined NDT1, where he danced until 2008. During this time, he started choreographing in collaboration with Sol Leon. Leon and Lightfoot have been prolific and widely known choreographic duo since 1989. Together, they've created more than 50 pieces for the company, for which they've received prestigious awards. In 2002, Leon and Lightfoot were appointed house choreographers for NDT. Welcome, Paul. Hi there. A bit overwhelming to hear all of that. Anyway. You have such a long and storied history. Yeah, I, they used to say womb to tomb, didn't they, for, for your jobs. But the, <laughs> now the new one is sperm to worm. So I think I might end up, you know, being my for, be, first and only job. <laughs> I, I've never heard either, either yeah. of those, but I, I love it. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. No, it's 34 years now I'm with the company. So it's been spanning my whole professional career. Wow. I will quickly add on a personal note that we first saw NDT, I think it was NDT2, or I first saw them at Jacob's Pillow maybe four years ago, mm -hmm. completely took my breath away and like immediately became my favorite company, quote unquote, should anyone ask and people have. <laughs> and I, every time I've seen NDT since, I've been shocked in a good way. There's just always, you're always doing something so different and so original. So we're just extremely excited to have you here. And thanks again. No, you're welcome. I mean, the company very much stands itself as you know the, the important thing is that it's constantly changing i think that's mm. actually its character is that it's not fixed you know we always make the metaphor a little bit it needs to be more like a river than a lake you know there's no stagnancy within ndt so i think that every show you see always has an element that's different and the company's constantly changing it is in flow and i think that that's a very important route actually to our own identity is our diversity and our our ability to change mm. 
So to start with, tell us about the two Lightfoot Leon works you are bringing to New York City Center in January. Shaboom from 1994 and Sad Case from 1998. What is the catalyst for these works and for bringing them now? Actually, they're both quite strange pieces that because rarely we touch works very much and do anything to to alter them. But both these pieces have been quite drastically augmented over the years. So even though they sound quite old, like 94, yeah, you know, Shaboom was actually made for a workshop, not not wasn't made as a real ballet. So Sol and I, you know, the workshop is where the dancers get an opportunity themselves to put a show together. We give it to charity and anyone can make a ballet. It doesn't matter. It's not about proving yourself. It's about experimentation. It was quite early in our career and we were still doing the workshops and uh, Shaboom came up and somehow it was a, a little mini hit, but it was quite short. It was made up of songs from post-war from around the world. So we took different languages and different songs that were in a way, I think, designed to create positive energy for people after what had been a very traumatic time going through the world wars. So this piece was made in 94, but then we brought it back a year later and we added a section to it. And then we added another section to it. And then we've added another section to it. And it's just been growing over the years. So it's funny when it says it's 94, it sounds like an old piece, but actually it's sort of been walking along like a little dog with us over the years and you just keep petting it a little bit. So this is the sort of the latest version of it. It has been seen just once here in New York for a kind of a, a fundraising gala, but I'm really happy to bring it to City Centre. I think it's going to fit beautifully. And plus the NET tours are just are absolutely raging within it. So that's, uh, that's great to see. So I'm really happy about that. Sad case, I have to say, is a bit of a personal favourite of both Sol and myself. It's made with Mexican music and we made it back in 98. It premiered because that was when Sol was pregnant with our daughter and she was just full of hormones she couldn't stop laughing like the whole time and normally she could be very serious <laughs> so we you know as she got bigger and bigger you know she was just laughing her head off and we wanted to make a piece that sort of because uh, yeah and Sour our daughter was actually uh, how do you say hecho uh, in Mexico so she was conceived in, in Mexico so we were like well we have to use Mexican music for this piece and, and what is the future what's going to happen so Sad Case is this kind of ball of positive energy and again it was made well it was made for and it's sort of skipped over the generations and I really wanted to present it also in the evening that we're bringing. So that's our two pieces. I love that side effect of pregnancy, just laughing. I've <laughs> I never mean, heard of that. I mean, there's a moment when she wasn't <laughs> laughing, I can assure you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Wow. Why is it called sad case if it's happy? Sorry to Well, ask. we were like, you know, a sad case is like what a, you know, what a miserable thing, you know, and we were, we were just, it was more of an ironic joke for ourselves, you know, what, what, what is going to come out of this birth canal? You know, what creature is going to come out? We didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. So we made these five characters up and developed them during the piece as if any of them might be, you know, our spawn, you know, our, our genetic cocktail, you know, because Sol's from the south of Spain. She's a real Andalusian gypsy type. And I'm obviously a little bit zany, northern English. And, you know, we were like, well, what's going to come? What's the future bringing? And this was very much a page turner in our lives. But we got something beautiful. So I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned there are five characters in Sad Case that you're playing with. Do you often work in this way, developing characters that perhaps have symbology for larger themes? You know, you're stepping a little bit more into the territory of when we create together. I would say Sol is very much the, the master of developing personalities within the works. You could say she's very much also guiding the, we don't really have dramaturgy. You know, but there's a kind of a, she, she, because we're not creating narrative pieces. This, these are purely on ideas and emotions. And, but she has this way of finding stories within our non 
narrative world. I think it's a very much a, a beauty and a power of Sol with this ability. So, yeah, we tap into the person we're working with. Obviously, when you're making a piece with only five people, and each of them is extremely important. And we looked for kind of also misfits within the group with sad case, for example. We looked for people that were all not connecting very well. And I thought that that was actually a very interesting way to approach it. They, they all just kept colliding with each other. And that was also part of the beauty because in the end they work as a team, but in, a, in the wrong way around. Yeah, I think it's that, that lies. I, I, I'm always blown away by Sol and her ability to sort of hone in on the person and, and translate that into other ideas that she has in her head. I, I love to put my part to it, but no, she has a real, she has a real gift. And what would you say is your part that you add to it? Chaos, usually. I mean, I'm like the one that just <laughs> like keep having these mad ideas and throwing them in there. And then Sol's like, no, don't. <laughs> what a bad idea. No, I think there's very much shared ideas. It just, this is one area that Sol has real strength and I give her as much space as I can. It doesn't mean to say I don't get involved with it, but I trust her innately in this area. I'm very much a content person. I love, I love to be physical. I need to be physical. I couldn't make a ballet just sitting in a chair. I think the day I can't move, this I won't be choreographing anymore, that's for sure. I like to make material myself. I like to make material with the dancers and as well give them some freedom too. But I think when you're working on a style and particularly with the NDT tours, it's, you know, making a ballet with NDT one is an amazing experience because they know us and they are so incredibly mature. I mean, they're, they all are really at the top of their game. And NDT two is also much more developed than you think. People think, oh, maybe it's kind of a scholastic company. It's not. It's just they are younger. That is purely, that's the only word you can put to it. It's not less experienced. Of course, they have less years, but there's something in, in, inherent in them that's very, very strong. We're very fortunate to have such a high level. But when you make a piece for NDT2, there's kind of a double duty there. And that's to sort of not to make the ballet, but also to invest in them, your ideas, the things that we've learned over the over our career of NDT and about its integrity and its ethics. That doesn't mean, again, to say that you have to do it a certain way, but to give people tools so that they can make the choices. So we tend, our pieces when Sol and I create with NDT2 tend to be sort of 50-50, 50 on making the ballet and 50% on developing them and giving them, instilling them ideas. So I love to deal with that very much too, about how we do things and what I think should be, because we're not a company that lives on tradition but somehow you have to take tradition with you and you have to use it, but you don't have to st sit in it. But if you don't know it, then how can you do anything with it? So we, I am a very much in that way of wanting to pass on information. I feel there's a responsibility there if this company is to continue. That aligns perfectly with a former interviewee's comments when he stated Prince Cradell. We interviewed him yeah. recently. <laughs> so he said that he was very happy that the company was developing an artistry within him and he developed characterization and it does sound like based on what you just described that that's a very important part of the choreographic process i mean let's be clear prince is one of the most exceptional artists i've ever met i mean i get it's a very emotional experience to work with him and he wasn't from our traditional route you know he came from he's worked with several other companies before and he joined in in quite a mature stage of his career I mean I think he was perhaps 30 arriving but he'd had he had so much experience under his belt but Prince also you know like everyone in NDT they all have something but Prince is a, a really an exceptionally beautiful person to work with and he just wanted to soak in the waters a little bit with 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 us in the process and and yeah, so modest, it's almost annoying. He just, you know, he's just ridiculous. Yeah. 
Yeah, constantly apologizing. I'm just like, you know, that like, you're a god. What are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> but he's a, he's a magnificent person. He just needs to get on stage and just move any part of his body, and you you just blown away. So, but everybody NET has really does. There are the point is the colors. It's this the it's the diversity. It's the palette of all of of the company. You know, without without all of that, then we will we would be stifled. And there's just so much choice. It's wondrous. I'm so curious what you would describe the traditions as that you are preserving. And I love how you say you're not a tradition-based company because there are many companies that are so so tradition-based and so stuck on the beginning that you feel like you see the same works every year coming back and I just don't want to go see them because I've just seen it before and it's all the same thing. But I'm also very curious about NDT's history simply because it's a very old company, but I wasn't around and I'm so struck by the company that I'm so curious. Like, when did it become what I love? Has it always been that way? So I'm curious to hear from you if there are certain pieces of tradition that you're holding on to, what those are. You know, it's all in it's all in experiences. It's not in works or in... I mean, the wonderful thing is, I suppose, if I think back to 1959 and I wasn't there either, is that we were fortunate that it started on the idea of being rebellious. You know, its first, its first, its core business was about not doing it like anybody else. So that's kind of a nice thing to carry with us the whole time. So even you know, sixty years on, it's still. I didn't. There was no need to reinvent the wheel with NDT because what they've always been doing is, is drawing different inspirations and creating new ideas. So when it first began in '59, it was there was a, a Dutch ballet. It was called the Nederlands Ballet, and I think they created a classical ballet company because all the countries had a classical ballet company. But there was no tradition of dance in that sense uh, of classical or contemporary at all in the Netherlands. It was, you know, it's, it's, as a country, it has, it has folk roots. And I think particularly painting and literature is, is, is where its real culture lies. But anyway, so they formed a ballet company and about a year after it opened, 20 of the dancers walked out and said, well, we want to make our own company and we want to make something where we're not doing the Giselles or Swan Lakes, just a bigger name, huh? there's no, nothing against any of those pieces. We don't want to do works that are so old and we're just reiterating what others have already said. Mm. For us, that's a, that's a different kind of museum than we would like to be in and we want to make works on our own bodies with our own thoughts out of our own emotions, things that are representing today rather than the past. And this was formed by an American, Benjamin Harkavy, who was, who was a dear, dear friend of mine uh, amazing man and he he was the first director and later he let go of the artistic directorship but he always stayed close to the company he was teaching us a lot a magnificent teacher for myself I mean and also with Sol in a way with Ben you had to be he had to like you you know and he did he saw something in both of us and he would you know sort of hang around uh, what I was up to also in choreographic development anyway I'm drawing off the story the company went into the hands of Hans van Manen and Glenn Tetley so again, two very prolific choreographers. And then it gained really quite a, a negative reputation. You know, we were the bad boys. They created some very uh, co um, controversial works, using a lot of nudity, using a lot of very strong ideas. And this was a, an incredibly important moment for the company because it, it set it somewhere. It, it shot out of all of the mainstream ideas of contemporary companies that were emerging. It just, everyone was suddenly looking at the company. So I suppose that bad press was good for us. In London, for instance, they were like, you know, so everyone was saying they were, you know, coming from the devil and they threw metal filings on stage during the performance, you know, to stop them from continuing. They said, you know, it, I'm Brexitish, I can say it. I mean, that was totally <laughs> mad. Anyway, <laughs> but um, no, so therefore it gave that. And then this sort of fell apart in a sort of mid-70s. 
two choreographers running and an institution was already, you know, being just being one choreographer, it's hard enough. It's a hard hat to hold. But so that sort of broke down. So there was time for a change and then showed up Yuri Killian, which totally, he, he, you know, this is the kind of company it is. It could totally re-identify itself. Yeah. Yuri pushed it forward into an amazing, uh, amazingly creative area. He was 28 when he took the company. So, I mean, incredibly young. And there was, and it was quite messy, but we're not afraid of being messy. It's important that things get broken. That's it, probably when you're at your most, it's the most optimal place to build from is when you're a mess, you know? So he knew what he was doing very, very, I, he was my boss for 18 years. He was my director and he was nearly 25 as an artistic director, which is an exceptional amount of time. And he really re-identified the company. And it was a very glorious period. And a lot of it was due to the catalytic effect here in the States. In 1978, he made a piece uh, called Sinfonietta, which was created for the Spoleto Festival in Charleston by a wonderful man called Joe Wishy, who passed away, sadly. And as soon as it hit there, there was this massive uproar, how do you say, towards the company. It was a, a great deal. We got invited in the year after to the Met and the company performed there. And also at City Centre. That was when we first sort of hit New York as let's say, another phase. Anyway, Yiri uh, did the wise thing as well of trying, because of course many people looked to it in those periods as the Killian Company, and it was something that Yiri did not want. He wanted so much the diversity to be upheld, so William Forsyth was making, I mean, you know, uh, Matt's heck, mm -hmm. you didn't mention, Matt's was in the company for a year or two with Anna Laguna. You know, when he was preparing to make his Giselle, he, was, he took a couple of years to be in the company, yeah, William Forsyth was there many times in his own transitions before he took Ballet Frankfurt and after as well. Ohad Naharin, Ohad had just formed his group. He came in. So you kind of had the big five, you know, it was all around. That was when I joined the company in the sort of mid-80s, really. Hans von Mannen, of course, he left. He came back. He's always been the, the, the magpie of the company. You know, he flies away and he comes back again. A great man who I think also has given so much. But of course, Yuri, the, the 80s, 90s, up to 2000, as an artistic director, Yuri was very influential. And since then, it changed again. We had Anders Hellström, who was a wonderful man, not a choreographer, but a great manager of the company. And that sort of um, also passed. And, I, and then I've been house choreographer with Sol, and there had been the, the sort of the wish from several sides that I should take it. I, I've said no a couple of times. And eventually I thought, well, if you're going to do it, do it once, then you better do it now getting long in the tooth. So in 2011, I, I started. Is that really, I think I've missed a million things, but anyway. It sounds like all the great rebels had their training at NDT, <laughs> their rebel training. Yeah. I love that. I love just that picture. Thank you. And it does, from what we've read, appear that Yuri Killian has become known for developing in-house talent. And you're a perfect example of that, who rose to the highest rank. How are you carrying on that tradition as well? The imperfect example, I would have said anyway. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's natural in a place like NDT that does attract very creative artists that you're going to find choreographers in there. A lot of my colleagues from also from my generation moved on to great careers. Johan Inger, uh, Jorma Ello was also a colleague. Uh, many, many people. I'm going to miss a million names now. Well, Nacho too. Nacho Duato was dancing with with me in the company. I mean, I was dancing with him. He's older than me. Wonderful, amazing creature he is. And uh, he started choreographing at NET as well. So I tried to do that, tried to find the same. Alexander Ekman is another example. He was in NDT. Yeah, and I'm looking now and we have an up and coming uh, program where I also look inside the house. I think it's great. The more creativity we can find inside, then that's uh, something we... We look to push. At the, right at the moment, this season, we have a, a brother and a sister 
called Imra and Marna van Opstal, and they're both dancers in the company. And, well, Imra not anymore. She was, and she left, and Marna's still with us. And, yeah, they're going to be making... They've made a piece for NET2, and now they're going to make a piece for NET1 this season. So, you know, but it's also very difficult because you... You stand protected by the way the organization, because we're much more than a dance company. I would say we're a creative house, you know, in all your departments, your production, your costumes, your lighting, everything is sort of very developed. And we're skilled in, I don't mind saying it, but we're skilled in also getting works on stage and also being able to move them around the world. So we have a fantastic international and national planning team so that we can do this. So many directors I speak to are insanely jealous of the fact of how we can actually keep moving because it's very difficult to keep going and it poses so many challenges so for choreographers when you're starting up my point is that the house is very beautiful it's a wonderful place to be protected but of course you also stand in the shadow of the wings of many other people around you your peers and I'm no exception I mean I had Hans von Manen and Yuri Killian there full on and you just had to make a ballet next to them and I was 21 years old I mean it's it frightens the shit out of you if you don't mind me saying you know you just like but at the same time you have to you know there's no other way to do it than to do it there's so much talk these days of trying to develop people and let's coach them and let's and I think there's also just the best way is just throw them out the nest and see if they fly how they fly you know as long as they don't crash in the ground and oh god I mean my, our first ballet was just so awful I just was it was just like the worst thing I've ever seen and still is and and you know you just feel like your life's over you know you get to the premiere and you're so inspired and in all your ideas and then you actually see them come to light and fall apart in front of your face and you're like okay that's it it's over but you know you have to you have to fail 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 better isn't that that somebody says that fail better yeah well anyway um and that you know Yuri for instance was director when we did that and he didn't he just said try again you know, and it's great. There's no book written about taste. I was saying it downstairs earlier. And I think that, you know, you just, you've got to go. So you have to, just have to do it. And there's a lot of push now on, well, there needs to be books written about how to become a choreographer and degrees. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm old fashioned. I'm like, get in a studio, find something you love. If you're passionate about it and you do have a message, then, then go for it. If you don't, then do something else. There's plenty of things in life you can be creative with. Well, it sounds like there is a degree of leadership at the same time where he obviously recognized, you might have thought that the ballet was a complete failure and been embarrassed, but he recognized talent or recognized you should try again, that it wasn't a total crash and that you had some some ability, you know, to succeed. No, it was there. a total crash, believe me. Then how, <laughs> then how did he know you could do it again? I think because he knew, he knew Sol and I's personalities. Uh, and I try and do the same. I mean, you know, they're, yeah. they're your colleagues. It's very different. No? They're, yeah. And I... I I have no qualms in saying how much I'm in love with all of them. No hashtag me too high, hopefully. But um, they're, you know, I, they, they're incredible, incredible creatures. And I, I just hold them all so close to me for very different reasons. Yeah. And um, yeah, when you know people and you understand them, yeah, there probably was something, but definitely wasn't what I wanted to see at that stage. Yeah. Total sidebar and then we'll get back to our questions. But do you think anyone can choreograph out of curiosity? That's a very odd question. Who? What do you mean? Can anyone choreograph? Yeah, I mean... Who do I like? Anyone who's a dancer and understands the language, do you think they're capable of choreography? Oh, I see. Yes, why not? But, you know, it's just, for me, it's about message and originality. I see much, much, much too much choreographies lying around of people who are just not being influenced frankly mm-hmm. they they are just they're just picking on something and they'd like to have they'd like to be a choreographer and they'd like to be successful and they'd like to think it will fulfill their lives some more by making a ballet 
but they don't actually have something to say of themselves. I would, I would invite anyone who I felt had an original voice, that had an ri original message of way of doing things. We've been doing works in the last few years, and we've been working with choreographers like uh, Gabriella Carizzo and Frank Chartier, who are real physical theatre makers. They're not choreographers, so of course a lot of people were like, oh, what are you doing? Like this is, But the, the, the combination of these artists, NDT, and the teams going with people like this has created something else. And what they have, you know, you need, you need a signature. Mm. It's like languages, you know, we all learn to speak many different languages. And if you, but if you, if you just gobbledygook, it just makes no sense. I, so like people like Crystal, you know, the curtain goes up and in 30 seconds, you know, who made this piece, you know, and that's just so overwhelmingly beautiful. You, you like it, you don't like it. I've seen ballets from her I like less and ballets I like more, but you'll never get away from her integrity of her, her language. And Marco Gucker is another one. Yeah. That's why they're associate choreographers with us right now, because I just feel like they're unreachable. They are unique and all of us are unique. And if you cannot find your uniqueness in choreography, don't do it. There's plenty of other things to do. So I feel there's this rush and this wish and this desire, but that isn't, necessarily a good reason to do something there has to be the actually the need to do it and that is so apparent in your choreographic voice as well as Soleon's and definitely the choreographers that you choose and I'm so happy to hear this as sort of like your curatorial vision when you select choreographers I absolutely see the uniqueness in each of the choreographers that you choose and it makes really interesting and engaging work I think you don't have a choice when it's like that because you can't step away from originality. You can not like it. You can find it irritating or you can be overwhelmed emotionally. It doesn't matter, whatever spectrum, the thing you can't get away from is that it has integrity and uh, honesty. And these days I think those are two words we'd like to see lying around everywhere, not just on the stage. So I think that we have this kind of responsibility. I'm a bit of a clown and a dreamer, but I, I, it's my spiel right now. Huh? But I think that I feel more and more people are coming to the theatre. I think that culture is, is reinstating itself with its importance in our lives more than it was in my career anyway. I think it felt a little bit like we were for the elite or, you know, it's good to go to the theatre, so I'll go. I'll go with my wife because she likes ballet kind of thing. Then they see NDT and they didn't know what they were expecting to be seeing and they've blown away, hopefully, usually. But I feel now that there is a kind of much more of a draw. People are coming, I don't want to say religion's, doesn't fulfill it but there's something like it's almost they really the theater is more of a temple than it used to be mm. i think people come because they know that what they're going to see has a certain honesty to it and they need they need to feel that i think there's so many natural and man-made disasters going on in the world right now and i think that it's incredible to feel how culture is sort of coming from the back end and and pushing everyone to a place where they can put their lives apart where they can see things that they can be taken by and and love and and find something to inspire them in their lives through. So I think dance is becoming much more than it used to be. And I think that it's very important that we dancers, choreographers, dance companies take that responsibility seriously and don't just deliver what people think they'd like, because that's never going to really engage or educate an audience. I'm not there to educate, we're there. Of course we have a business, we have a business to... It, you can't get away that the curtain's going up and people are looking at it. It's not a selfish experience. I've always been aware of that. Some choreographers, less. But we, we were always aware that, uh, you know, this is you are making something for people to watch. But still, I, yeah, I just, I get very passionate when I see the performances of NDT and I can really feel how people get moved. Maybe one work more than another, but 
it's the way it goes. And it's apparent to non-dancers as well, or people who don't attend dance performances as often. I have a friend, for example, who only wants to see certain dance companies with me, and NDT is one of them, because he really identifies with the uniqueness and the high caliber of performance. So, It's also very encouraging to hear that perspective. In basically every interview now, we return at some point to the question of sort of the relevance of dance and how we build up enough audience to sustain dance over time and whether how we open up the field and whether people are interested enough at large. And it's great to hear a perspective that's positive and that's optimistic. And I think we have to just figure out how to tap into what you're seeing and tap into the, just the positivity that does bring people to the theater. So that's really great to hear on another note. You talked a little bit already about your dynamic with Saul. I'm just so curious, how do you manage to co-choreograph with someone? What is the process like that you guys can both bring in your ideas and create one piece together? <laughs> she's listening and she's going, oh. <laughs> Everything I say will be wrong right now. It can be quite, it can be quite a nightmare. I mean, it, imagine you've got these two people in one room with you as a dancer. You're there and we're... We're standing in front of you, tossing out ideas. And yeah, but we always say, you know, it's very cliche, but, you know, every child has a mother and a father, you know, and they don't think the same way always yeah. or do the same things. But also it's been, a, it, it, every piece is different and it depends how both Sol and I are engaged or not in that process at that moment and which area. We tend to also not to spend too much time together in certain parts of the process and then bring stuff together rather than trying to do it all together in the room together. Because naturally you just, you know, we both, you can tell I can't shut up, you know, I just, <laughs> and Sol, Sol doesn't say much, but when she speaks, you have to listen, you know, so it's, it's awful sometimes. So not awful, but it's, it's a challenge. I think people really have to get used to us. That's why it's so good. We've ex only, ex we've exclusively created in NDT. I've never created outside because we took, we played that card deliberately. We wanted to stay in a place where we could develop ourselves with people who would know as well and not just be sort of like traveling salesmen and entering a new environment. And this, we're very spoiled in that sense because it's an exceptional place to work. And the people that know us, the more pieces we go through, of course, there's certain things you don't have to talk about anymore. It just comes to light. Yeah, it's beautiful, but it can be quite chaotic. We don't communicate much, Sol and I, before a production, what we're actually going to do, which sounds... Very risky, I suppose. But there, there's sort of an understanding, of course, there's music and there are some basic ideas, but very often lots of that gets thrown away. I would say in general, we have a lot of ideas on the table and without even talking about them and slowly you just remove the ones that you think aren't applicable, I should say. Sometimes there's a very clear driving force, you know, but not always. And sometimes there's almost no clear driving force. And we've had examples where that works well or not well in both cases. So, I mean, you just have to go, go with it, go with the flow and see. But yeah, the process can be quite something. Sol and I also do works uh, still on stuff together, just in our latest piece called Subtle Dust we made for NDT2. We were like, come on, let's make a part of that together. We haven't done it in years. You know, you realize that there are certain things we haven't done. And so to come back and we use Bach, which we hadn't used in almost 17 years. We'd had a whole Bach era Last time we were here at City Centre, we bought a piece called Safe as Houses that was from 2001. And that was the last piece we had used Bach's music because since then we met Philip Glass and just, you know, couldn't stop working with Philip. Amazing composer who inspired us from, you know, almost 15 works we made just with his music. And we decided to go back to Bach. And then we were in the studio. And I was like, oh, come on, let's make something together. Like, you know, we're older now. We're a bit 
we can't like our legs don't go up as high and well souls do but i don't and we made this duet and it was so beautiful it was like just going it was like we could recoil a little bit this year will be 30 years uh, celebrating that we will be um well 2019 is 30 years of us creating together officially so that's a, it was it was really great last year to get back and we made this we made this uh, very about two minutes that's all but we made it completely on our own and then put it on the dancers. And the way they took it, and they, it was with the, you know, the, younger, the younger dancers, and the way these two, uh, both American actually, Donnie Duncan Jr. and Amanda Mortimer, and they were just absolutely so, they were like sponges. They wanted to understand this duet, and it was a very intricate. It was more like a study and a kind of a reference to our past. So, yeah, it, it can be from very poetic to very mad and sometimes very angry. We, we, we fight sometimes. It's dreadful. So apologies about that, everyone who's ever been in the room where we're bickering away at each other. But, <laughs> you know, it's part of life. It's like with your parents. You know, you don't, it, it isn't all gold. And often the moments when it is tougher are the ones where we learn the most. I noticed with, with Sarah, our, our daughter, you know, when she was young and she would get sick, like she would have a fever or something. And, you know, you worry to death. You sit there thinking something dreadful's happening. You know, maybe she's going to die. We're going to have to go to the hospital or whatever. And it turned out to be that she was growing, you know, that she was just sick and, and she got better and suddenly you just saw it and it was like, oh my God, she grew. And that, that suffering, unfortunately, was something that was there to help her forward. So I think about that sometimes in the process too, you know, it's not deliberate that you want people to be in pain or suffer, but sometimes it is a way that ultimately leads you to growth. Yeah, so when there are tough times, you have to support each other and try and bring each other through it. But it's, it's not, it's not a, a golden ride. Uh, making a ballet of course not it's kinetic you know it's the only creative form I think where you're really with people full on or if you're a painter or a writer or a composer it's very solitary uh, creative forms of course there are others but uh, with choreography almost from from zero you can make prepare as much as you want but until you walk into that studio with dancers you're not really making a ballet yet and that and you have to share that from the very first moment I think that's why I always have that's why I ended up being a choreographer because I love people. I, I need to share. I can't be alone mm. with, uh, with my own thoughts. I, I would jump out of the 16th floor window probably. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I said a lot. <laughs> no, that's fascinating. Thank you. And you mentioned you do not work with a dramaturg, but do you conduct any of your own research or sort of look through material prior to reaching the studio? I mean, I sort of, yes. I suppose I do. I don't really think of it that way but yeah I, I have um actually have here you see that big green book here oh wow yeah every time i make a ballet i um i put these books together and it's gathering stuff so this is the next production which i'm just started on now which will happen at least a year and a half away so yeah i always use them you know what i love about them sorry it's, a, it's an it's an interview you can't um you can't see anything can you but it's a calligraphy book you see so it opens up so ultimately you have like a massive this is only just beginning but this is music hunting oh. But you see, then you put, you start putting things together, ideas, and and just things in my life. It's more of a scrapbook than anything. I've always wanted to do this. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I, at the moment I've been very interested in anthropology. You know, about cultures and and different forms, and also about art in general and how it was how it was presented. 
So, um, yeah, so I started up work. There's <laughs> Solomon. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, <laughs> this is a piece in Matek. Yeah, that we made together. Uh, anyway, anyone listening, you're missing out totally. It's a strange book, which I write <laughs> things in. You can take a picture of it, yeah. So, yeah, it, that's where I kind of start throwing things in. And it can be as mundane as a photomaton to something incredibly important in literature or art, history, or, or I love films. I don't mind. I'll go and see, you know, from what? Batman to to a deep artistic film. I, I, I'm I'm very always very inspired by movies and and the making and uh, and books too. I I love I love particularly fiction fiction reader. So I I do kind of hunt through and but I suppose in a very strange way I have this sieve of ideas that sort of pass through. Sol too. I mean Sol's an incredibly she's incredibly um, investigative as a human being. Mm. Looking a lot into spirituality and all kinds of forms of, of developing ourselves you know, not only through our brains, but also through our, our spirits and stuff. So, yeah, we, we're both we're quite, a, quite a mix of ideas coming together. Wow. You're drawing inspiration from so many sources, which I think as an artist makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, I think we're reaching the end. I am interested in knowing who are some choreographers that you're excited about now and who might be some rising talents that you'll be featuring soon. Well, of course, I spoke about Imra Manaf and Obstal. Uh, they were inside the company who were, well, coming out of NDT, I should say. Uh, we'll see what happens to them, of course. I, I, I feel dreadfully uncomfortable about saying exactly who I think is going to be good and the one to watch. I, you know, I mean, here's a choreographer who's been around for a long time who's not known in the States as Edward Klug. And we'll be bringing his piece with NDT2, uh, Mutual Comfort. He's Romanian-born, but he has a, his own company in Slovenia. He's, he's not a young man, but he's so gifted. And you really should see his work. I think that he, he's got a lot of a lot of talent, all kinds of people. I wish we could bring the work of um, that that has been made for NDT from um, Gabriella Carizzo and Frank Chatier. It's an amazing experience. That's really, and I like it because we're called NDT and NDT is Netherlands Dance Theatre. So it's been very much a push on dance with our company over the God knows how many decades now. And the theatrical aspect is something that I've always really loved as myself wanted to be an actor when I was young. These works from them are really dance theatre. Okay. And it's uh, really special. They're, they have their own company called Peeping Tom. So if they're in the States, I don't know if they've come to the States even. And they've been around a long time. If you see Peeping, if you see Peeping Tom coming, get a ticket as fast as you can. Um, absolutely amazing creators. So, uh, yeah. I mean, in Young Talents, we'll see. I mean, I also have a... Brian Arias is coming, who you might know. Yeah, Brian was an ex-colleague of ND, ours of NDT. Yeah. And uh, he'll be coming to make a piece for NDT2 this season. Yeah, there's, there's, there are people out there. I must say I'm very difficult to really make happy. As I suppose as a choreographer, I'm miserably cynical and don't like things. But you have to be aware sometimes, yeah, you know, it is good work. But, you know, but there's, it, it, I'm not easily really satisfied. I, I still have many questions, as I said earlier, about choreographers and why they do what they do, you know. It has to be more than a job, in my opinion. There has to be a kind of a real need for it. Yeah, I have to feel that, and that's just me, you know. Somebody else can feel something very different about the same work, and that's what the beauty of art is. So, uh, yeah, but I, I mean, yeah, there is definitely people in and out of our doors who are, are very inspiring, and I think there's, there's so much to share. Thank you. I'm so glad you used the word theatricality, too, because that puts the finger on what I was thinking for NDT. You just have such a, the company always creates works or presents works that have a lot of humor, I've noticed, 
whether intentional or not, apparently after last night, um, <laughs> but also a theatricality to them that I think ties in with the intention and just makes it so much fun to watch without dumbing it down or becoming more superficial in any way. And it's what I love about NDT. I mean, on the contrary, I think, you know, it's really important if you're going to do something silly as well, you have to take it very seriously, you know, and that's that's not easy. Humor is difficult in work. But I think what is most important is that with these worlds that we make, you're watching perhaps amazing choreography with fantastic dancers. But I really always inspired by how we can use the space. Light. It can be as basic as you want, just how you're using light in, in each different world with each different designers um, and, and what we do with the stage. Sometimes we're quite, we have some quite big decor ideas, which I think in modern dance in North America is not really thought of. You think more about, oh, a big open space and people moving around. Whereas sometimes, we you know, we really make uh, strong environments where it uh, has a much more theatrical side to it. We have a piece called Shoot the Moon, for instance, which is very dear to both Sol and I, and it's really, it feels almost like you're in a play with a real room that is being moved. Into, there are three rooms that interact, and they turn during the evening, so you watch each scene, and then the other scene disappears. So, and it really feels like it's like a, a, a dance play, you know, and that's um, without a story. But that's, it's, you know, so there are so many ways to look at it, and I think dance theatre does have expertise in that level of how to not just create steps, but also create worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just like film. <laughs> yeah, I love films. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to present that perhaps we didn't cover or anything else you'd like to say about the upcoming season at City Center in January? Yeah, I mean, of course I want people to come. It, you know, it, it, this is what we're all here for. And um, there's a lot of work gone in from ourselves as in City Centre to bring a really inspiring program. I suppose the the work I haven't mentioned is also extremely important to me and my heart right now is from Marco Gurka uh, because we have Edward Klug and, uh, called Mutual Comfort and then there'll be Sad Case from Solomon myself and Shaboom, which I talked of earlier. But the piece missing is called Wir sagen uns dunkels, which is something translated like we speak about darkness. And uh, it sounds very heavy, but it isn't. It's an absolutely inspiring piece of work from Marco Gucca, made less than a year ago for NDT2. You'll see most of the original cast. And he, the original idea, which I sort of pitched at him, was to make something with the music of Schubert, because we had an old whole evening using Schubert's music. I'm not keen on themes and tasking choreographers. I think it's dangerous. I think that choreographers should do what they feel. So I said to him immediately, listen, you do what you want. But he did use two pieces of Schubert. But he said, I really want to work with Placebo, the pop band. And I was like, you go for it. Because as you've seen yesterday with Midnight Raga, he uses Ravi Shankar and, you know, Etta James. And you're like, who on earth? If somebody says that to you, you're like, this is never going to work. Oh, but it totally did. When yeah, it, when absolutely. When it transitioned to Etta James, there was like this feeling of relief. It wasn't that I didn't like the Ravi Shankar. It yeah, just yeah. worked out really well. It worked. Yeah, yeah he, he's genius with this. So when he said, I want to use Placebo, I, was just, I just raised my eyebrows and said, you go for it. I mean, <laughs> if you think that's going to work. I've not been so moved by a piece of his in a long time. It's very, very beautiful, very passionate. He understands young people so well. And uh, there's this drive in the work that is magnificent. And it has dark edges, but it also has extreme hope in it. And I think that that will be also a great asset to the evening and highly contrasting with the pieces around. So I think it's really a quartet of beautiful works and a very, 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 very strong group of dancers this season coming. And quite a few Americans, actually. I realized some Juilliard graduates and yeah, so I come, come and sit down, put your lives on one side for a couple of hours, put your phones away, you know, isn't it time we, you know, this, I think you were talking about 
I've forgotten what you said about performance and what is it that's so exciting. And I think that, you know, it is where else can you get this than in a live moment? We're living in a world where we can actually live without anyone slowly. You know, you can have relationships over a screen. You know, you don't you don't have to speak to anyone. You can you can discover everything you want out of your tablet or phone or computer. And you know, like with my daughter, she'll say, oh, say, I want to go and see this film. She's Googled it before I've even, you know, said what I think we might go and see. She wants to know first what she's going to see before she sees it. And I'm always like, would you, like, don't. Like, can't we just go somewhere and just experience it on our own terms without anything? And I, that's what I love about the idea of NDT. Maybe you can watch the trailers, you can see a little bit, but you will have no idea until you sit there what it really is. That live experience, that kinetic feeling. You'll have felt it yesterday in the performance, I don't know, perhaps in other pieces as well. But there are things that just are irreplaceable. And that's the chemistry between all of us. That's our connection. That's why people love dancers. People love dancers because they not, not only they're watching top sportsmen almost, you know, and top artists. And yeah, they look beautiful and everything. But they're, they're, they're real and they're tangible and they can, they can make a difference to all of us. And, and I think that that's what the shows do. And that's what performance, live performance, you can't beat it. You cannot beat it. Yeah. So I think that come and see and then and hopefully agree with me a little bit that's great and we feel your love for the art form <laughs> definitely we'll get as many people to go as we can and also one of the few places you are required to shut down your phone for two plus hours <laughs> so it's a good thing <laughs> really focus all right well thank you so much this has been a pure delight you're welcome speak soon <laughs>